to transition and we're going to talk and end our series this week. We've been doing a series called In Transit. And the fall, you guys, is the time where so many transitions happen. You know this. A lot of us sitting in this room are probably thinking about something that is changing for them in these next few weeks that is a big deal. And so what we've been trying to do with this series is say, how does God interact with these changes in our lives? Is God a part of it? Or is he not? Are we going to drive our own transition? Um, for us right now, you know, we've got a big change that's going to happen on Thursday morning in our house. Uh, Thursday morning will be the first time that we have somebody, uh, our, my junior in high school son Josh, is able to drive, and our younger son, Micah, is going to be going to high school. They will be at the same school, and one of them can drive. <laughs> Have a good day, guys. <laughs> that is going to be so weird, watching them drive off. It's a big change, but it's got Karen and I not just thinking about that. It's got us thinking, what happens in two years when he graduates and four years when Micah's gone? You know, like it just seems like they were this big not long ago, and here it sneaks up on you fast, and you know that's how transitions work, that there's a big change coming, and what are you going to do when that happens? Who are you going to be? I mean, how many, how many parents kind of have their kids go off to college, and they look at each other and realize that they don't have a relationship with each other anymore? Or maybe they don't have a vision for who they're supposed to be. I, you know, we're working through that right now. That's, that's, that's the midst of the big in-transit part of our lives right now. What's yours? What's your in-transit right now? I read a list a few weeks ago to start the series. I actually want to read it again uh, as we kind of close the series out. And maybe as you listen to this, if one of these is yours or maybe there's another one, I want you to frame things as we talk through the lens of the transition that you're going through right now. It could be that you got married this summer. It could be that you got divorced this summer or separated. It could be that you have a new boyfriend or a new girlfriend. It could be that you had a big breakup. It could be that you're going to a new school or a new grade or your kid is starting a new school or a new grade like us. It could be that your kids are moving away or that you're moving away or that you just moved here, right? And this is your first weekend. It could be that your friendships are changing or it could just be that a friend just flat out changed on you. It could be that you're grieving the loss of an old church that you used to go to or maybe it's that your job is in major transition right now, or your boss is going to be changing, or your team is going to be changing, or your role is going to be changing, or your health could be changing, or maybe you're retiring, right? There's a million different things that could be changing right now in our lives. And I think as we look at the change, we've got kind of a crossroads right now. Here's something I want you to just think about today as we work through this together. Sometimes we approach change from the angle of, I just need to survive. And in some cases, it's true, especially maybe for some of us that are dealing with health issues or something that's so deep and hard to get through. I don't want to diminish that. But for some of us, we move through these transitions in our lives just kind of in default mode. Guys, here's what I want you to think about today. Transition needs vision. Transition needs vision. Where are we going? 
through this change? Could you articulate as you move through this change in your life at all where God might want you to go? Or the dangerous thing will happen, and the most dangerous thing that can happen in transition is you end up either in default mode, just, yeah, whatever, autopilot, or you end up living into a vision that is about necessarily like what you want for your life. Maybe not necessarily what God wants for your direction and for your future. This takes work. So if you got this all figured out, class dismissed, right? You can go. But if you're walking through a transition right now and you're not so sure what the vision for the future is with this, that God might have for you, I hope that you will dial in on this conversation. There's a pastor that I really love named Andy Stanley. He's in Atlanta at a big church there, and he writes a ton, and he has this quote that um, I think is motivating for some of us. Uh, It says this, Without a clear vision, odds are you will come to the end of your life and wonder. I'll just read it to you. It's not up on the screen. You will wonder what could have been done you will wonder what should have been done. And like so many, you may wonder if your life really mattered at all. I want to call us today to asking God for a clear vision for our future, a clear vision for the transition that we're going through. This is a huge question. Again, are we going to live in default mode? Or are we going to live in what we want for our future? Or are we going to live with a vision, a passion for what God has called us to? Um, I want to, I want to um, take you on a little journey with a story with this. I actually think one of the best things ever written about a leader was written like centuries ago. And it's a story in the Old Testament about a guy named Nehemiah. And the, the leadership that you can learn from this guy is phenomenal. And I'm just going to read you a few verses today from Nehemiah. I actually really hope that it whets your appetite a little bit for you to go in and check it out yourself and dive into this story. In fact, our team this week, our, the sent staff team, we actually took time, a few hours this week, where we printed out the first six chapters of this book, Nehemiah. We got out highlight pens and, uh, and just markers, and we just went through and You guys, the conversation around what Nehemiah did and how God used Nehemiah in his leadership and vision for the future is remarkable. And so I just, I I hope maybe that you'll take the chance this week to check that out a little bit and dive in deeper. But let let me give you the background of this book. And I resist, you guys be so proud of me, I resisted the flip chart this week, okay? I I wanted it. Feel it, but I didn't use it. So I'm going to hand talk instead a lot, okay? Um, So... Let me trace you back centuries ago. And if you're going to get this, don't fall asleep on me right now. Listen to this part of the story. It's going to give you the background really important to understanding this, okay? So I'm going to, this over here, this is Egypt. Got it? This is Egypt. This is where the people of Israel lived for a long, long time and actually lived there as slaves for a long time. They didn't want to be there. They were in Egypt. And eventually, they were led out of Egypt under the leadership of a guy named Moses. 
They left Egypt and they came into where they currently are, where Israel exists right now, around the area of Jerusalem and Israel. They came to what God had promised them, right? That's why you hear it called the promised land. They left Egypt. They moved to the promised land. This is centuries ago. They're in the promised land. Things are going great. They've got great kings. Everybody's happy. They have this amazing time, except like so many of us do, so many of us individuals, companies, churches, whatever, we forget where we came from. We forget that when we arrive somewhere wonderful, we forget the things that got us there. And these people forgot. They forgot about their God. They, they didn't, the Red Sea didn't part itself. They, they walked out of that place into the promised land under the leadership of God moving them, and these people just flat out forgot about it. After centuries and centuries, it just got stale and old, and they started to do their own thing, and they wandered away from God. Well, what happened was is that there was another, here's another country over here that was off to the east that started to build up a massive military and the, the country was named Babylon. And ba this is kind of like modern-day Iraq, Iran area. They started looking over here at this, these guys going, man, they've got their little castle walls. They've got a lot of gold, we hear, a lot of really nice stuff. Um, what if we consolidated all our power by taking them down when they don't expect it? And that's exactly what happened. Uh, right around... 600-ish B.C., these guys, the Babylonians, under a guy named Nebuchadnezzar, came and invaded Jerusalem. And guys, they destroyed it. They wiped out the walls. They destroyed the temple. They took every little ounce of gold and everything that they could, and they carried it off with them. Guys, Jerusalem was left a just smoking pile of rubble. It is actually brutal, too. Some of you guys who've um, grown up in the church, I know for a lot, probably most of us in this room, this story might be brand new. But for those of you who have grown up in the church and you've heard this story before, you know what the danger is? The danger is you hear Old Testament Bible studies and they sound kiddish to you because you learned them with, like, animated characters when you were kids in a classroom. There's nothing animated and cute about this. When Babylon came in, if you read in uh, the second book of Kings in the Old Testament, it is absolutely brutal what they did. They came into the town. They killed everyone. There was no distinction on who they killed, women, children. They wiped people out. They caught the king. There was a guy in, in Jerusalem leading at the time named Zedekiah. They caught him. And you know how brutal these people were Babylon was? When they caught Zedekiah, they said to him, we want to make sure that the last thing that you see is something that you will remember. And so they killed his kids in front of him. Nebuchadnezzar killed Zedekiah's kids, and then they took his eyes out of his head. And that, that's, that's our friend's Babylon. Because this is a brutal story. They then made these people, we think thousands, thousands of Jews then were forced to march what we think might have been about 1,200 miles on foot, right? Zedekiah without eyes. 
having to walk all the way back to Babylon where they are going to be put right back into slavery like they were years and years before in Egypt. This is the route that we think that they may have followed, that they went all the way up, followed the rivers. They didn't cut across because they didn't want to go across the desert, and they walked along the river. Long, long route walking this whole time. Brutal. Brutal. And now these people, the Jews, are here when they used to have it good, now they're here. Their relatives, many of them have died because they've been killed in this invasion. And now they're forced to live in this place and they live there for decades. The story doesn't get happy fast. These people get deported and they die there. And they have kids. And the stories kind of live on about what it used to be back in the promised land. And, and a group goes back 70 years later, a small group goes back, but nothing really comes of it. 150 years later, 150 years later, somebody comes along that God is going to use, that God is going to give a vision to, to do something remarkable. So look at, look at uh, Nehemiah. This is the first chapter in Nehemiah. This is, our, this is our hero in the story. But here's what I want you to notice. I'm going to read you four verses is all to start. As you think about the vision God's calling you to, there is a clue in these four verses that if we'll listen to, God might speak to us, the community as an individual, where is he calling you? What's the vision through this transition? All right. Nehemiah 1. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. Love that name. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, so now uh, this guy is the new king in what was Babylon now. It's actually called Persia. King Artaxerxes is the main guy now. He, uh, he says, I was at the fortress of Susa. Actually, and you'll see this later in the chapter, Nehemiah was um, the cupbearer. So, you know, you probably have an idea of what a cupbearer to a king is. Like, oh, they're the guys who taste the drinks and make sure it's not poisoned, right? Well, yeah, that's right. But there was a lot more to being a cupbearer. If you were a cupbearer, you were actually really wealthy. You had um, status. You had money. You had the uh, ear of the king, so you had power. Nehemiah is a Jew who has grown up in uh, Babylon, Persia, who's never seen the promised land, presumably. And he has risen to a position of power in Babylon, Persia. In fact, he kind of has it pretty good. Uh, so I'm at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. So Judah is in the promised land. Jerusalem is in Judah. So some of his Jewish brothers are visiting now to tell him about what's going on. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity, the little group that had gone back, and about how things were going in Jerusalem. Look at this. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire, right? This just keeps happening 150 years later, and it just history is repeating itself. When I heard this, I sat down and I wept. It's Nehemiah. Who's, he's actually never seen the place, we don't think. But he sits down and he weeps. In fact, for days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed to the God of heaven. 
okay, something's about to happen with this guy that's remarkable, that changes the course of history. He, he has a depth about him. We're going to unpack this here in a second. But before we do that, maybe you saw the clue. Before we do that, I want to tell you what I think my vision for my life is. You ready? Here comes my vision. I want to fish. 300 days a year is what I'm thinking. Give me a fly rod. Give me like a gift card to Front Range Anglers. And I will fish 300 days a year. I will go backpacking. I will find little rivers that you've never heard of. I will be out on the South Platte River. I'll be catching browns and rainbows and cutthroats. Man, give me a fly rod. I know some of you are worried for me right now. 300 days sounds like a lot. What about January and February? Don't worry. I'll go to New Zealand, okay? I'll, just, I'll go down, man. I'll find those big brown trout in New Zealand. I'm going to be just fine. That's a wonderful vision for my life. Oh, man. You know, I sometimes think my wife, Karen, if she had a vision for her life, sorry, Karen, I didn't warn you I was going to say this. It, it would be like, let's sit in a, in a square in Europe, one of those beautiful little squares, and let's order waffles and gelato and, and look at the, the flowers. Whoever's in charge of Europe's flowers is just doing a great job, man, whoever that is. I mean, that's a great vision for my life. That, can you think of your vision for your life? Like, don't you have a vision like that? You'd be miserable. How many times have you seen people live out their little vision for their lives that they think is their vision, and it doesn't satisfy you? Why? Why is that? I, I want to, um, for a second, just talk to those of you who... You're in this room and you'd say, look, as best I know, I am trying my hardest to follow Jesus with my life. I would consider myself a Christian. I know that, you know, I don't know what the percentage is in the room. But I certainly know that's not everybody in this room. In fact, maybe it's 50-50. I don't know. But let me talk to those of you who would say, I want to follow Christ with my life. Here's another Andy Stanley quote. I think this one will kind of kick our butts a little bit, when it comes to developing the future vision for those of us who would call ourselves a Christian. Look at this quote from Andy Stanley. The average person has the right to dream their own dreams and develop their own picture of what the future could and should be. But at the cross, those of us who have sworn allegiance to the Savior lost that right. You agree with that? What he's saying is, if you're saying I'm following Jesus with my life, Jesus has bought your life. Jesus at the cross said, I, I am, I'm turning you free, free from the sin that had you. I, I, I am, you're off, man. There's grace. And he's saying, but I own your future. Doesn't that sound un-American? Somebody else besides me? controls me? That doesn't sound right. That's faith in Christ. To say to God, like, I, I'm actually going to turn my life over to you. My future is now yours. My fly rod is in your hands. And I'm going to follow the life that you've called me to lead. I, I actually think part of the vision for my life is for whatever reason and wherever, 
to try to explain God, to, to try to explain Jesus in terms that maybe somebody who doesn't totally track with this could understand. Whether that's in this setting or some other setting or whatever, I think that's God's vision for my life. I think that if I went off and fished, like my vision for me would be, I think I'd get about two weeks in and I would feel this like, ugh, I don't think this is right. That's because the beauty is, guys, when you hand your vision of your future over to Christ, he will actually shape it in a way that your heart now craves. It's a process you've got to go through, especially in transition. Have you ever done that? Have you ever committed this to him and said, this is yours? Well, first we've got to start and figure out what that vision is in the first place. So did you catch the clue? In the, in the four verses I read you. Let me show you what I think the clue is. Just these little words right here. Nehemiah hears the story of Jerusalem, and what's he do? He sits down and he weeps. You want to know what your vision is, where God might be calling you? What is the last thing that you heard, whether you picked up the news or from something with a friend or whatever, that just flat out made you weep? What, what tugged at your heart so much that you're like, we, this cannot be happening. This has to change. Or maybe it was anger. What's the last thing that you got so angry about when you heard it that you said, no, ne- not on my watch, not a chance. You had that moment, right, where, you know, sometimes we make Jesus kind of this little soft guy. No. Jesus is the kind of guy who walks into a temple and is so upset that people are getting ripped off in the name of God that he takes their tables and starts throwing them upside down. He's furious. What's that kind of anger for you? Not anger about maybe something that happened to you or anger about how you got ripped off. or No. When were you last angry for someone else? And you said, that has got to change. Guys, that might be God's call in your life saying, that's your vision. And you can't sit still and just let that go, right? At the cross, we turn that over to God. God owns that vision now for us, and you can no longer ignore it. You can't let time continue to go by year after year saying, yeah, I know that maybe I should do this, but maybe next time, maybe next year, maybe next, maybe next, maybe next. Guys, there's a call of God on your life and a vision that he's calling to. Don't default. Don't go back to your vision. It's a vision that he is calling you to. And we see, one of the amazing things about working in this church is we're around amazing people where we see this happen with you all the time. I had an incredible conversation this week with somebody whose passion is around this gun violence issue and said, not on my watch. How am I going to change this? It's incredible vision, I believe, that is God-given that has been put in her heart to do something about this. Man, I, conversation this week with somebody whose heart just beats for middle schoolers. They look at a middle school kid and they go, oh my gosh, they're going through such this big transition and point in life and things are changing and I need to be a stable adult in their lives. And they would not, you know, literally weep, but that's their heart. They can't keep going with life just making money going to practice, getting good grades, doing whatever it is that they do without actually saying, no, 
I'm going to live into that call. I'm going to stop putting it off, and I'm actually going to do it. There's someone in our church who is a high schooler who's a senior who just graduated. She's been on some of our mission trips that we've gone on, and it's impacted her. It's impacted her heart. She's decided, I'm putting off college, and I'm going to go to some of the poorest countries in the world, and I'm just going to serve them for a year. Amazing. You know what's amazing about that? That's not how we're all taught to live when we're little. We're supposed to climb the ladder. In the world's eyes, that's a step back. It would have been the same for Nehemiah. Nehemiah's got money, he's got power, his life is easy, 150 years away. You could have easily heard him just think, yeah, those guys, they'll be fine without me. In fact, probably leaders for 150 years up to the point where Nehemiah came along did exactly that. I'm too comfortable. I'd rather climb the ladder than actually kind of step off the ladder in this weird way that God calls us to and do something that to the rest of the people around us may actually not make sense. But that's the call of Jesus. That's the vision of Jesus. I believe that actually he's calling you to do something like that. Where's your heart broken? Where can you no longer ignore that idea that I have wept? That might be the vision that God is calling you to. But we got to be careful. Um, I, I'm a master at making um, my vision sound like it's God's vision. So I like to do what I like to do. I bet, you know what, I bet, um, bet God needs somebody out leading fly fishing lessons for 300 days a year. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, you know, I can do that <laughs> really easily. How do we know that the vision that we're being called to is actually God's? There's not a formula. But I can show you one of the things that Nehemiah did that's beautiful, and I think it's the starting point for us this morning. Look at what he does in verse 5. This is Nehemiah. He says, he's just wept. And then he said, O oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. What's he do there? It's actually not too much of a trick question. He prays. Maurice said something a few weeks ago that I just thought was so insightful and just so true for me. He was talking about a different story in the Old Testament, and he was, he was just making the kind of note of like, when we get a vision or when we feel like we're supposed to head in a certain direction, what do a lot of us do? We plan. We strategize. We immediately go to the physical and the practical, and we don't go to the spiritual. We don't actually talk to God first about it. What Nehemiah does is he weeps, he fasts, he prays, he listens. He talks to God. He says, God, is this right? Is this where you want me to go? Is this what you're calling me to do? Is this in line with the plan that you've had? And he first starts and he listens to God. And then, and actually if you keep reading this, it's months later. And then he moves when he's convinced that God is in the center of this. And then it's not just him. It's God at work. 
Guys, will you go to the spiritual first in this question? Will you go to the Lord? Will you ask him? You know, Jesus is, um, he's a lot of things. Let's think of the things he is. He's an amazing teacher. He's an amazing healer. He told stories like nobody's business, stories we still tell. He loved people in ways that, like, I can't get my mind around. Uh, Jesus was present with people. He, he was never too big. He was, a, he was so many things. But one thing I don't know that we often think about is um, Jesus is a visionary. Jesus is the chief visionary of life. And he had an idea in mind when he made you. He had a vision for you. And maybe that vision's been leaking for a while now. And it's time to get it back. Guys, I pray you got access to the chief visionary of the universe. It'd be a great idea to involve him in this. Ask him. Don't go to your default vision. Don't go to yourself. Go to where he wants to lead you. Do it. I want to do something today. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't tried this before. We'll see if it works. Um, when you leave, oh, we're going we're gonna to sing here one final time. I hope you don't run out the door. Stay. Listen. Let it, let it be a conversation with God. Sing to him. And when we're done, I want you to actually leave one of these exits. Maybe be a little quieter than you normally are at Ascent when we leave. I want you to leave one of these exits, and you may have noticed that there's mirrors set up at each exit. Would you walk by those mirrors and just catch a glimpse of yourself? I want you to catch a glimpse of yourself, and I want it to be a moment where you pray and you say, will it be mine or will it be yours, Lord? Is the next step for me my vision for my life? or your vision for my life? Who am I going to be in this next period of transition? Pray that you'll do that. And I pray that he speaks to you. So God, we want to give that to you. Thank you, Lord, that you love us enough, that you walk with us in the middle of this stuff. You never just kind of kick us out the door and say good luck. You're a God that goes with us. And so you might be calling us and people in this room to something that's so far beyond what we're capable of. And you don't make us do it alone. So God, I pray for my friends here. I pray for myself, my family. I pray that we are people that want to listen to your vision and then just follow it. Don't give us the tiny vision of our own minds, what we can conceive. Give us your vision. So God, I pray that, and I pray that we would start to have that conversation even right now, and we pray that in Jesus' name.